0: Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor.
1: The title that Abraham gave to Isaac when Isaac called out the title, Avi, my father. See, Isaac did not just blurt out the question, so where's the lamb for the burnt offering? I need to know where the lamb is for the burnt offering. Before I can take any more step up to that mountain, I have to know right now details, where's that lamb for the burnt offering? Because I'm getting very distressed, very disturbed, very afraid right now. And so Abraham, and so Isaac, he doesn't call Abraham, Abraham, which would have been a little strange, and, and, but he doesn't call Abraham father. Isaac calls Abraham my father. And, and with that title, there's an unspoken call that Isaac is making to Abraham. I, Isaac's afraid that Abraham's going to kill him and burn him. And, 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 and Isaac, he, he calls out my father. He's calling out to Abraham with this question. And, and this tender call of my father was, was calling to Abraham. He's saying, my father, I'm fearful. So I'm asking you, are you pushing me away? He, he's calling Abraham, my father. He's saying, father, I'm fearful. Are you distancing yourself from me? Father, Abraham, I, I, he's calling his father. Abraham, my father, I, I, he's, he's afraid. Are you severing from me? And, and he's saying, are you abandoning me? Are you forsaking me? So when Isaac called Abraham my father, fearful Isaac was really asking Abraham those questions, and he's really asking a question, should I be afraid? Should I be terrorized right now? Should I have no peace? And when Isaac calls Abraham my father, he's really asking him, do you still love me? And so God, and God described Isaac to Abraham before this, In Genesis 22, 2, when he says, take now thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest. So when Isaac, fearful Isaac, is calling to Abraham, my father, fearful Isaac, is asking Abraham, am I still thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest? See, by calling Abraham my father, Isaac is saying, if I am still thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, then I trust you. Even if you want me to be the sacrifice if you want me to be the lamb for a burnt offering i trust your love so when isaac said to to abraham my father he's really saying just tell me that you love me the same as you always have and i'll be at peace and i'll go on with you together up that mountain even if it means for me to become the lamb for a burnt offering So Abraham's response back to Isaac, uh, Isaac's call, my father, that's going to determine if Isaac is going to be at peace and go with Abraham together with him up that mountain, even if it meant that Isaac was going to be the lamb for a burnt offering. So fearful Isaac, he's looking for the response from Abraham. What's it going to be? Is it going to be the cold, distant yes, what do you want, Or, or yes, son? Or uh, fearful Isaac, he got his answer when Abraham said to Isaac, my son, the knee, my son. and, and, And Isaac says to himself, he just called me my son. He just called me my son, which means I'm still his son. I'm still his only son whom he loves. See, the answer of my son was all meaningful to Isaac that day. Because from, because from by hearing my son, Isaac was at peace. And that peace was described by a little phrase at the end of Genesis 22, 8, where it says, and Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And here's the phrase. So they went, both of them together. Both of them together. They were on the same page. See, when fearful Isaac heard the title of my son, he was, at the end of, of that verse 8 in chapter 22, puts it, so they went, both of them together, Isaac knew, he loves me. And he now, he knew, yeah, father knows best, father also loves best. And, and so he hears that, and he's, he's got the assurance that he wants. Back there, in Genesis 22, was our man Isaac, that we are here now in Genesis 27. It's only been about 100 years earlier, but he remembers. <laughs> and, and so here we are now in Genesis 27.1. It's our same man, Isaac. And, and it's our man, Isaac, in Genesis 27.1, who got all that meaning behind the term, my son. I mean, that's our man, Isaac, in Genesis 27 and Genesis 22. And he knew more than anyone else what that term, my son, meant. So our man Isaac, in Genesis 27.1, he knows very well what the term my son means. And in verse 1, we read, he called Esau his eldest son and said unto him, my son. So now we've seen how special that term is, my son, which is for Isaac, and all the meaning that's behind it. And now it really gives us forceful impact when he calls Esau my son. When Isaac called Esau my son, Isaac's thinking about when his father Abraham called him my son. No one in Genesis knew the deep meaning of that term, my son, like Isaac did. And Isaac knew that when his father Abraham called him my son, Isaac, that 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 meant you are my son, you are my only son, my son whom I love. So when Isaac is calling Esau my son, Isaac is saying to Esau, you are my son, you are my only son, you are my son who I love. As a matter of fact, Isaac never, never knowingly called Jacob his son. He never said to, Abe, to Jacob, my son. He only called Esau my son. And just in case we might think that, well, it was a slip of one time when Isaac called Esau his son, I want you to look at this chapter. Tell me all the times when Isaac called Esau my son. Let's count them and, and, and include the times when, when he was calling uh, Jacob, who was impersonating Esau, his son, and he, said, and he says, my son. So what are they? I'll get, I'll get you started. The first one's in verse 1. <laughs> he said, I him my son. Okay, where's the next one? That's number one instance. What's number two? Your eyes are dim, you cannot see, or no? He's <laughs> 18. Is 18? Yeah. Who art thou, my son? Right? Number two. What? Oh, yeah, but, but that's Rebecca. Um, we're talking about Isaac calling uh, Jacob my son. Oh, I, oh Rebecca, she called a hey, Jacob my son. All right. <laughs> but I'm talking about when Isaac did. Okay, we got two. Twenty. How you he found it so quickly? My son. Okay. Do I have four? <laughs> I got three. Do I have four? <laughs> what? Twenty-one. I may feel thee, my son. Do I have five? 24. 24 is son. Yes, my very son. Right, 24. Okay, I got five. Okay, and uh, right, okay. And then what's the other one? 25. Eat of my son's venison, okay. And 26. We got 26. We got seven times. Got another one? 27. See the smell of my son. We got eight times. Got another one? Is it in 37? Okay, what shall I do unto thee, my son? Okay, nine times, nine times Isaac calls Esau my son. Not once does Isaac knowingly call Jacob my son. Now, we already mentioned, Rebecca does. She does in verse 8, number one, obey my voice, my son. She does in verse 2, upon me be thy curse, my son, number two. And she does in verse 43, my son obey my voice, three, three times. See Nine times, Isaac calls Esau my son. My son, my son, my son, my son, my son, my son. This chapter is full of the my sons. And it shows the stubbornness of Isaac. Isaac in his stubbornness is saying, I don't care what the will of God is. Esau's my choice. He's my son. He's my only son whom I love. He's the only person I'll ever call my son. I don't care if God has chosen Jacob. I've chosen Esau. And that settles it. That's Isaac. And so God had to break that will in Isaac, and it was over this. It reminds me of how Pastor Jim told me one time that before he met Jean, he was going to marry another girl while he was at Providence Bible Institute. And Jim loved that girl in so much that he he taken the position. She was his choice, and he wanted her for his wife, even if that was not God's choice for his life. That's what he wanted, but he knew that he had given his life for missionary, full-time missionary service, and this girl made it very clear that she did not want to go into full-time missionary service, but Jim loved her, and he wanted to marry her. See, Jim's like Isaac refusing to, to surrender to God's choice. Then Stephen Olford came to town and he preached in that auditorium there at Providence Bible Institute, and his message was on surrendering your will to God, and his text was Romans 12.1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which, after all, is your reasonable service. And at the end of the message, Stephen Olford challenged the students to surrender their hearts to God. And he stepped to the side of the pulpit, and he made like this, and he said, So to you Bible students, I throw down the gauntlet. He said, I throw down the gauntlet. Will you surrender your hearts and your wills to God? Pastor Jim, he said he couldn't get out of the seat. He was under such conviction, he settled it right there. And, and then told the girl he couldn't get married to her. So what do we see here? In this case, with Isaac, we see a man who is stubborn. He's holding on to his natural affection for this son, and and it's strange, but he loved him because he was a good cook, you know. Anyway, anyway, he loved the venison. Couldn't tell if he loved the son or he loved the venison. I don't know. Maybe he would give the blessing to the venison, you know. <laughs> but what we do see in Isaac—I mean, they're not, they're not all bad. I mean, there's something good here. And what we see is found when, in, in verses 2 through 3 when he says, Behold, now I'm old. I'm at the point, of, uh, I know not the day of my death. And, and so he says, Therefore, take thy weapons, thy quiver, thy bow, go out to the field, take this venison. So Isaac's saying, Behold, now I'm old. I don't know when I'm going to die. Now, therefore, what we see here is Isaac thinking about his death. And we saw this in the last study. They were thinking about his death because he had arrived at the same age of the, when his half brother died and realizing that his window of opportunity is closing we see Isaac springing into action. You know, it reminds us of what God told uh, Joshua in Joshua 13:1 when it says now Joshua was old and stricken in years and the Lord said unto him thou art old and stricken in years and there remaineth yet very much land to be possessed. I mean, we you know we ask people, you know, how do I look? you know, <laughs> or, you know, we feel pretty good when someone says, you look good, you know, and, and the reason we feel good is because we trust, well, they must, they're, they're credible, you know, <laughs> giving us an objective assessment of how we look, you know, and not that it means very much, I mean, everyone thought Dick Clark looked really good, <laughs> and all of a sudden he dies during a prostate surgery. You know? But we like to have an assessment from someone who is credible and someone who's objective. And, well, there's, there's no one who's more credible and objective than God. So the, how hard this is for poor Joshua to hear God said to him, you know what, thou art old and well stricken in years. <laughs> That's a rough day when God says, you look pretty old. You look really old. You, know, you look just terrible. You know, you're like a bad shape, Joshua. <laughs> well, 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 God was not trying to send Joshua into depression when he told him that. I mean, he had a purpose for telling Joshua uh, th- th- uh, how bad he looked. And, and the purpose was, he said, and there remaineth yet much land to be possessed. And then the rest of all of Joshua 13 are God's clear instructions. This land needs to go to this tribe. That land needs to go to this tribe. He's given kind of giving them a division of the map there. See the message to Joshua was that Joshua, you know, take a look in the looking glass. Your time is limited, and the work is clear. So it's time that every minute count for getting this work done. And I mean, as I've gotten older, I've noticed how you know my day gets a little limited in time, and I I get tired. You know, I get dizzy, tired. I got to take a rest. It's a constant reminder. Time is limited. It's a good thing. You know, as a result of that, I've been thinking. I've been praying for. I want to. I want to reconnect with my old junior high school buddies that I haven't seen for over 50 years, and, and my high school buddies, and I connected with one, thank God, and, and, and because I realized the gospel, now or never. And just this last week, I had a visit from two businessmen from Japan, and, and, and you know, we've done business for decades. We've done business in Osaka. And I remember the times that I was coming back, so I invited them to my house, not to a restaurant. I went into to my house, I made lunch for them. As we're sitting at the table, I thought to myself, this might be the last time I see them again. And if this is the last time I see him again, I, I was thinking, what do I want to say? You know, I thought of when I've been in depositions for lawsuits, unfortunately, more times than I like, in um, the depositions for lawsuits, and, you know, you get really versed at this deposition stuff, and, and so, you know, because right next to you there is the court reporter, and she, you know, where she's with her head down, and she's recording every single word you say, and you don't have the ability to say, would you move over here? I want to raise some of those things, you know, say, if you don't mind. No, you can't. And so when I'm asked a question and she's typing away, I'm picturing my words on her screen. Mm-hmm. And, and so in deposition, as I speak, I'm picturing my words on paper. And, and, and it's kind of like a dictation function, uh, you know, on the new iOS, you know, the iPhone, it's, it's really nice. But, you know, because you look at the screen and as you're talking, it's, the, the words are appearing. And so I was thinking about my words being typed out. And I asked myself the question, if this was the last words that I have to say to my two lost Japanese business friends, what do I want the record to say? And I brought the gospel to them as if I was on deposition in the clearest way that I could think of choosing the clearest words, visualizing each word as I said it on a screen on paper. So in verses 2 to 3, Isaac's a good challenge for us. When he says, Behold, now I am old, and I know not the day of my death. Now, therefore, the challenge that's for us is, Behold, now we are old, we don't know the day of our death, and there remaineth yet very much souls to be brought from eternal death to eternal life. Now, therefore. This is, this is the impact that we're getting here. Now, he says, Okay, what is it that he had to do? We, may not agree, we don't agree with it, you know, but nevertheless, what is it he says? He's preparing to bless Esau. And he gives Esau specific instructions in verses 3 through 4 for what he needs Esau to do so that he can be in the frame of mind to bless Esau. See, Isaac wanted Esau, you go take your weapons, go out there, hunt me down a deer, and add all the spices that you do, and, and make this tasty meat that's called in verse 4, make me savory meat such as I love. Because we've seen this, it, it, this is why he loves Esau in the first place. In Genesis twenty-five twenty-eight, it says Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison says, Rebecca loved Jacob, and she didn't have to eat anything that Jacob made, so she just loved him. (laughs) Anyway, Isaac wanted for his senses to be overwhelmed with this seasoned meat. Boy, I wish I could have some of that. I wonder what that was. But anyway, for all I know, there was some narcotic in it. But he wanted to be overwhelmed with the seasoned meat, because he says, that's, that's when I'll be in the frame of mind, that my soul will bless you. So we focus now on that phrase that he says to Esau that my soul may bless you. He didn't, say, you know, he didn't say that I may bless you, but he said that my soul may bless thee. See, when Isaac says that my soul may bless me, that's packed with meaning. Because in order for Isaac to really bless Esau, it had to be with his soul. See, what Isaac said in verse 4, that my soul may bless thee, it means that if the words of Isaac's blessings were going to have any effect... It must be the expression of his soul. Then the blessing will have happened. When Isaac said in verse 4 that my soul may bless thee, it means that if Isaac only said words and his heart wasn't fully engaged in those words, then the blessing was not. It doesn't mean anything. See, when Isaac said in verse 4 that my soul may bless thee, it means that in order for the blessing to have happened, it has to be with Isaac's soul. When Isaac says in verse 4 that my soul may bless thee, it means that in order for prayer, To be effective, it's got to be with the soul. If our soul is not engaged when we pray, our prayers go nowhere. If we simply read off to God what's on a prayer list, well, he can read. He doesn't need us to dictate to him what it's got to be. Our prayers have got to be the steam blowing off the boiler that our souls are heating up. Then our prayers are effective. Prayer is the work of the soul. It's not the work of the mouth. It's the work of the soul. If prayer is simply reading or reciting words without the soul engaging them, forgive your mind, don't waste your time. If we simply sing hymns and our soul's not engaged, don't waste time. Praise is not effective. Isaac said that my soul may bless thee, which for us means prayer and praise are the work of the soul, and unless the soul is engaged in prayer and praise, they're, they're empty. It's empty. It's ineffective. See, King David expressed this, that prayer and praise are the work of the soul. When he looked inside of himself, and he said, stoke up the burner. And he said in Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Now, we read in verse 5, Rebekah heard, it says, that's what it says in verse 5. And Rebecca heard when Isaac spake to Esau's son. Now when it says in verse 5, Rebekah heard when Isaac spake to Esau his son, we got to ask the question, what did Rebecca hear? What did she hear? You know what she heard? She heard that my soul may bless thee. That's what she heard. And what happened when she heard Isaac say, that my soul may bless thee in verse 4? See when Rebecca heard that Isaac say to Esau that my soul what may bless thee, Rebecca says, "Whoa, that's news to me." Isaac hadn't told Rebecca; he was no fool. He hadn't told Rebecca, uh, "My my soul's going to go bless Esau instead of Jacob." See, that's all. It, 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 Rebecca's like, "Whoa, it's news to me. I had no idea my husband was going behind my back to get his soul to bless Esau instead of Jacob." We can imagine how this infuriated her, that her husband was cheating, going to deceive her, going behind her back, calling Esau in secretly to to bless his favorite son Esau instead of her favorite son Jacob. We can imagine Rebecca's anger as she realized that Isaac's plotting to deceive me by blessing Esau with his soul instead of Jacob. So, oh, Miss Rebecca, she said, well, I'll tell you what. If he's going to deceive me, two can play this game. I'm justified to deceive him. She thought, after all, what goes around should come around. She's thinking. She thought, after all, if he sows deception, why shouldn't he reap deception? See, when Rebecca heard Isaac say in verse 4, that my soul may bless thee, she knew that that meant unless Isaac's soul blesses, there would be no blessing. She knew she could go marching right in there and force that blind Isaac who depended on her for everything, and she could force him to not bless Esau and to bless Jacob instead. But she knew from Isaac's words in verse 4, that my soul may bless thee, that if Rebekah marched right in there and forced blind Isaac who depended on her to not bless Esau but to bless Jacob, because when she heard that my soul may bless thee, she had a problem. She had a massive problem. How was Rebecca going to manipulate Isaac to bless Jacob with his soul? You know, how was Rebecca going to manipulate Isaac to bless the person that Isaac refused to call my son? How how was Rebecca going to manipulate Isaac to not bless the person that Isaac called my son? And here's where the genius of Miss Rebecca comes into play. I mean, Miss Rebecca... She knows that if she barges in there and orders Isaac, now you, let me tell you something, blind husband of mine, <laughs> who's dependent on everything from me, and I want you to say those same words to Jacob. And, and you know, he, Isaac would do it with his fingers crossed. <laughs> he would, and she knew that won't be with his soul. And if it's not with his soul, it's not effective. She needs Isaac's soul to bless Jacob. And she knows there's only one person on earth that Isaac's soul will bless. That's Esau. And if she wants Jacob to be blessed with Isaac's soul, then she's got to make Isaac think that he is blessing Esau, when in reality he's blessing Jacob. This is pretty smart. Don't undersell her. <laughs> she's smart. So with that plan, we cannot help but admire the genius of Miss Rebecca. She's one smart cookie. She's smart. No. So Rebecca in verse five and six, she is shocked and she's angry at both Isaac and Rebecca for both plotting to, to deceive her quickly and for Isaac to quickly bless Esau with his soul. So she waits in verse five and six, and she and here's the sequence so clearly mapped out for her. Esau went to the field to hunt for venison and to bring it. And Rebekah spake to Jacob, her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau thy brother, saying... See, between verses 5 and 6, Rebecca is at a crossroads for what to do. Rebekah's intention is good. It is good. It was good for Rebekah, and she should have tried to stop at that blessing of Esau and get the blessing on Jacob. But she's at a crossroads on the how. The what is good. The how is good. Is the issue? See Proverbs three, five, and six is really a question, and the question of Proverbs three, five, and six. You can just put this right above Proverbs three, five, and six. What's it going to be? When faced with a problem, Proverbs three, five, six is the crossroads with the question of where are you going to go. At the end of Pro, at verse 5, Rebecca was at that Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 crossroad. Rebecca was faced with the Proverbs... She was faced with the Are you going to trust in the Lord with all your heart, thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him? He shall direct thy paths and be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord and depart from evil. She, she's faced with the problem of Isaac plotting to bless Esau with his soul. And the question is Will I trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean not to my own understanding?
0: Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org, that's friendshipwithgod.org, or go to itunes.com and search for the Friendship with God podcast. All messages are cataloged by date and all available for free listening and free download. You can also call us directly for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. Join the Creation Earth History Museum for our 10th Annual Museum Day Family Festival, Saturday, September 26th. Hi, this is Jason Payne, Museum Curator, and I want to personally invite you and your families to a free, fun-filled event, including new exhibits, testimonies from leading scientific experts, meet NASA astronaut Colonel Jeffrey Williams, and many others. Activities for the entire family. So join us Saturday, September 26th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m., Go online to learn more at creationSD.org or call 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104.